Amen. Jericho, I'm just going to use my lapel today. Thank you. I'm looking for Daniela. Ah! Can I come back there? I need Daniela's help. Or I could use Reagan, either one. I'll, I'll consult with any of I'll consult with all of you. How about that? All the kids right here. This summer, out behind our house, there's a downspout in a gutter, and these two plants just started growing on their own. Now, I'm not a plant expert. I didn't plant them, but they just started growing. And I was wondering if y'all would help me with what they are. Could you do that? Because I did find... I found something on them, and this is what I found on them. What are these? Reagan, what's those? Tomato. Those are tomatoes? Danielle, you want to confirm the tomato theory? Those are cherry tomatoes. So, I've got a hunch that the plants are cucumber plants. I mean, what, what do you think? Or they might be squash plants. I mean, they could be. What do, I mean, what, what do you think they are? Reagan's like, this dude is just. <laughs> I, what are they, Reagan? The plants that these came off of. They're tomato plants, aren't they? Because tomatoes grew on them, right? Jesus has a very interesting metaphor. He says, you will know a tree, and I will insert slash plant. You will know a tree, how? By its fruit, right? What grows on it? That's how you know what it is. And the Apostle Paul had this way of picking up on that metaphor of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul uses that metaphor of Jesus in Galatians 5 when he's trying to explain what it means for Jesus to dwell in Christian people. If the Spirit of Christ, we call it the Holy Spirit, but it's Jesus' Spirit. It's not a vague, nebulous kind of spirit. It's Jesus. It's the presence of Jesus. And if Jesus is living through our lives, Paul had a, he explains that there are certain virtues. He doesn't call them virtues. What he calls them is the fruit of the Spirit. If Jesus has done something deep within your heart and soul, these are the values. These are the qualities. This is the fruit that will show up in your life. And so for the next nine weeks, and my thanks to Pastor Paul, he's going to cover joy in week three. The next nine weeks, we're going to do a series of messages on the fruit of the Spirit. What are these virtues of Jesus? We cannot claim that Jesus is Lord if there aren't these corresponding values 
and virtues in our life. And so today we begin with the first fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. For those of you who are able, would you please stand and honor the reading of the Gospel. Each week during this series, we will be looking at Jesus' own life and how this virtue was exemplified in His life and what it means for ours. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Matthew 22, verse 34 to 40. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is the Word of God for the people of God. And thanks be to God. You can be seated. I grew up in a family of three children. I have two older sisters, Joy and John and myself, and we grew up singing. We grew up singing songs in the church. We grew up singing songs in the car as we went to our grandparents' homes and back. And I don't know why this song was one that we sang a lot. It's an old Andy Williams song. Joy would take the first letter, Jonna would take the second letter, I would take the third letter, and we joined in on the fourth letter. It went like this, L is for the way you look at me, O is for the only one I see, this was my letter, V is very, very extraordinary, you can sing along, E is even more than anyone that I adore, more love is more, I forget the rest of it. But that song we sang hundreds of times. Think about the songs that you know. I'm going to date myself. I grew up. Love me tender. All you need is love. Endless love. You are my only love. Love can find a way. I will always Love you. I checked the top 40 charts this week. In the pop top 40, there's only two songs with love in the titles. I don't want you to think I'm an old fuddy-duddy. I'm hip up on the music biz. One of those songs is Higher Love. It's actually a Whitney Houston song in 1990. Higher Love and then a Justin Bieber song. Any Justin Bieber fans? Love Yourself. I checked the country charts. Some of you like country music. Top 40 on country. There's only, disappointingly, only one. How can that be? Only one song 
with the word love, and it's by a man by the name of Cole Swindell. Anybody know Cole? God bless him. Love you too late. It's the only song in the top 40 country charts. How many movies and tell I'm really, really going to date myself here. How many television shows and movies? I grew up with the, the love bug. Anybody remember the love connection? The love boat? Please, somebody nod. We only had three channels where I lived. I mean, but thank the Lord, one of them was ABC and Love American Style, right? You find the word almost everywhere and out of the lips of almost anyone. You see it spray painted over overpasses and underpasses. You see it spray painted on the sides of train cars as they pass by at the railroad crossing. You see it etched in trees and picnic tables. One time I was playing miniature golf and on the stand where you, after you finished the hole, you could keep your score. And on that wooden stand, I guess by a pocket knife, I don't know who Mike is and I don't know who Dana is, but it was carved right there. Mike loves Dana forever. My fear with this message today is I'm dealing with what might just be the most overused and under, misunderstood words in the English language. We say things so casually. I love my family. I, I love my home. I, I love where I go to school. I love my car. I love my cell phone. I love homemade ice cream. I love the cats or used to. I love the cards. I love the tops. And in the very same breath, and with the very same word, we say, I love God. I love, I love Jesus. Or I love you. John Wesley, the founder of this Methodist movement that became the United Methodist Church, I love how Wesley talked about, <laughs> I love, <laughs> I love how Wesley, I do, how he talked about Christian perfection. Christian perfection, he, he called it holiness as well. What is holiness? What is Christian perfection? And for Wesley, it was not perfect beliefs. It was not perfect doctrines. It was not a perfect understanding of biblical interpretation. For Wesley, perfect Christian perfection was two things. Perfect love. Loving God and loving your neighbor in a more perfect way. That's perfection. That's Christian perfection. Now where did John Wesley get a crazy notion like that? That Christian holiness could be summed up, that what it means to be a true believer, a follower of Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit flowing through our bodies. How did he understand that in such a simple way? Well, he got it from who? Got it from Jesus. In Matthew 22, this gospel reading Scholars tell us that in Jesus' day there were 600, imagine that, 613 
separate commandments. Some of you kids, you think you've got a lot of rules in your house to follow. Let that sink. 613 separate commandments that they've identified in Jesus' day and time. 248 were positive commands. Do this, do this, do this. It corresponded to what they believed were the 248 parts of the human body. And there were 365 negative commandments. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou don't do that. And it corresponded to every day of the year. 613 commandments. Do you feel that? And Matthew tells us that this Pharisee, and he wasn't just a Pharisee, he was an expert in the law, which meant he was like a theological professor. And Matthew tells us that he came to test Jesus, to tempt Jesus. And in Matthew's Gospel, there are only two people who ever try to test Jesus. You know who they are? The devil and Pharisees. It's the only time the word is used in the Gospel of Matthew. And so this man doesn't come to learn anything from Jesus. He's trying to trick Jesus. He's trying to make fun of Jesus. And he thinks he can trick Him because some rabbis believe that all 613 commandments were of equal value and equal worth. So what's Jesus going to say? Teacher, which do you think is the most, the greatest commandment of all? He's going to trick him because if Jesus says something like, well, the moral law is more important than the ceremonial law, he's got him. What's he going to say? He's not there because he loves Jesus. He's there because he's trying to win some theological argument. Some argument on the Bible, the Word of God. He's trying to trick him. And Jesus responds. First from Deuteronomy 6.5, it's the Shema. The Shema was the prayer that then and now any devout Jew to this day, every morning, every night, and some five times a day will say the Shema. They begin their day on their knees. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind. And Jesus connected that because the verb in the Shema is the same verb used in Leviticus 19.18. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus connects them. Not the first time. Other rabbis connected them. The, the Torah connected them. But love God, love neighbor. Seems so simple. But man, is it hard. Seems easy. I'm reminded of Karl Barth. Karl Barth was one of those great German theologians of the 20th century, arguably the greatest theologian of the 20th century wrote volumes and volumes and volumes. He was the gold standard and still is for many people in theology in the 20th century. And someone asked Karl Barth one time, they said, what is, Dr. Barth, what is 
What is the most important truth you have learned in your theological study? And Karl Barth said, he said this, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Jesus' simple command, love God, love neighbor. It goes against what for some of us is a way that we keep score with other people in the world. It, it goes totally against religion that tries to follow all the right rules and all the right disciplines. As good as they are, this simplicity of loving God, loving neighbor, cuts across even the best things that we try to do as faithful people, worshiping God or reading our Bibles or praying. Jesus doesn't say any of those things. Even having theological arguments on the latest issues in the world, that's not what it is. Jesus says, if you want to sum it all all of it up. All of it. It's two things. Love God. Love your neighbor. And the word there, the word, as you may know, in Greek is agape. Why is it agape? Because in Greek there were three words for love. But this is the word that Jesus uses, agape. It's the highest love. It's unconditional love. It's the love that does not expect anything in return. There's no quid pro quo with agape love. It's love for the other with absolutely no expectation that that other person will do anything in return. Jesus says, if you want to sum it up, agape God and agape your neighbor. And if we pay attention in the New Testament, there's this pattern that exists in the New Testament. And Paul helps us because the first fruit of the Spirit that we're starting with today, the first fruit, and that's not a coincidence. For Paul, it was the most important one. He begins with this virtue. The most important virtue in this world is love. And when he jumps to the church at Corinth and he shares with them what is, what is the most important spiritual gift? What is the most important gift of the Spirit? And what is it? It's love. And if you jump to 1 John, there's the Gospel of John, and then there's 1, 2, and 3 John. And in, in the 1 John, 1 John tells us how we cannot be a liar in this world. And I don't know about you, but I don't like being called a liar. First John says this, if you say that you love God whom you have never seen and cannot love your brother and sister who you see all the time, you lie. You're a liar. And so Jesus, Jesus says, it is the greatest. It's the first fruit. It's the primary gift. It keeps us from leading lies that are fake and phony. 
It's the greatest of commandments. I love it. Jesus is basically saying, keep it simple, friends. I know as adults, we're prone to try to make our faith and what it means to follow Jesus so complicated. Well, what about original sin? What about the virgin birth? What about the bodily resurrection? Stop. I don't know why Jesus didn't include all those things. I don't know why He said it's two things. Two things. Love God. Love neighbor. But we adults, we sophisticated adults, have to complicate it. Sometimes I think when I went to theology school, it just kind of complicated things. Just keep it simple. During this, during this whole series, I'm going to ask some experts in our church about these different virtues. And I asked the experts. I didn't, Julie. Asked them on Wednesday night. I, I asked, you know who I asked? I asked some of our kids. And you might be sitting there thinking, what do kids know about the, the Holy Spirit? What do kids know about the Spirit of God dwelling in them? Friends, we baptize children in this church and we do it because every single time we're acknowledging that the Spirit of God, the presence of God is there in every single human being even before they even know how to utter the word God. They don't invite God into their life. God's there wooing them into the life God has for them. And so I thought we had asked the children because children aren't jaded. And if you don't think a child isn't in tune with God, isn't in tune with the Spirit and presence of God in the world, you've not been around enough children. So we asked them this simple question. And it was interesting. Julie told me when she sent it to me last, she said, look, they all had answers. They all were willing to share. They didn't need to even think about it. Julie said this, it seemed as a natural thing to them. How do we show God's love to others? Listen real carefully. Some of it's a little hard to understand, but I asked the experts, how do we show God's love to others? This is what they said. By being nice and kind to everybody and participating in community events. By caring for each other. I really think that God would love you to show kindness. So, like, invite friends to sit with lunch to you. Invite them to church. Um, maybe play with them at recess or something. Like, maybe you could help them with some math. Um, by being nice to each other and including everyone. Danielle, I really wish somebody had loved me enough to help me with my math uh, back in the day. <laughs> I don't know if you could hear, we care for other people. Be nice. Be nice. And thank you, Helen. Helen wrapped it up including everyone. They're great theologians. They know Jesus well because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus loved not just those that are easy to love, not just in our family, our friends, those we're comfortable around. Jesus went across every barrier, every 
boundary. Every wall, he crossed them all. And it would kill him. But his love was the love of God. The unconditional, unmerited, unimaginable love of God. Paul, I don't normally tell a preacher how to end their sermon, but if you would be so kind when you preach the third week, if you'll ask this question, I'm asking it every during the whole nine weeks, and it's a simple question. I'm going to ask it every week during this series. Does your life, and I do not exclude myself, does my life reflect this virtue, this fruit of the Spirit, love? Would the people who know you best describe you? You know, I don't, I don't know what you want to say about Charlie, but I tell you what, Charlie Pride, he is one loving man. He's so loving. I don't mean to be kind of morbid, but at your funeral, at my funeral, will anybody, will anybody stand up and say, you know what? She was so loving. He was so, so loving. I'm just going to be honest. After 35 years as a pastor, I have no interest any longer in winning any biblical or theological argument. I have no interest in putting this person or that person in their place, in a Christian way, of course. Putting this group of people or that group of people in their place. My only goal, as God is my witness, my only goal, whatever years I have remaining, is that in every situation, with every individual person, that I meet, the only thing that interests me anymore is to say, what is the most loving thing to do? And so think about your family. I don't know what agape love is needed for you as a person or in your family or as a friend or at school or at work. Lee's going to sing in a moment. I just want you to reflect on that. Where is this agape love needed most in your life? And friends, you're free. You're free to try to make it more complicated. You're free to add another 612 commandments. They're in the book. If you want to add them, add them on. I'm just saying, the Gospel is this. At the end of the day, at the end of your life and my life, all that really matters, according to Jesus and according to Paul, is love. Love God and love your neighbor. Amen.